Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGroff. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. Baby Jessica. Jessica McClure Morales, also known as Baby Jessica, became famous in 1987 when at 18 months old she fell down a 22-foot well in her aunt's backyard. She remained trapped in that well for 58 hours while all of America watched to see if she was going to be rescued and before she actually was rescued. She, be, she remained trapped in the well, 22 feet below the ground, a well that was only 8 inches wide, for the next 58 hours. <clears throat> and while frantic rescue crews attempted to save her life, and the entire nation watched transfixed as the drama played out on television, because she had fallen so deeply into the earth, or deep into the earth, beneath layers of rock, harder than granite, and because the diameter of the well was so narrow, the rescue mission was extraordinarily difficult. Using a large rat hole rig, a machine normally used to plant telephone poles into the ground, rescue teams drilled a 30-inch wide, 29-foot deep hole parallel to the well. They then began the difficult process of drilling a horizontal tunnel between the two wells about two feet below where baby Jessica was trapped. In the meantime, rescue workers pumped oxygen into the well and attempted to maintain constant communication with baby Jessica, who moaned, wailed, and for a while even sang nursery rhymes to pass the time. After listening to her for so long, I could tell her moods, a detective said, who was on the scene. At one point, she was singing. At another point, when the jackhammer started up, she didn't say any words, but used kind of a huffy little voice. You could tell it was an angry voice. I would say 80% of the time she was either crying or making some kind of noise we could hear. When we weren't calling words of encouragement, we'd tell her to sing for us. I'll never forget her singing Winnie the Pooh. The rest of the story is that Jessica was rescued from that well, and today... She lives as a healthy young woman with a husband and two children and um, lives to tell a story of being rescued from a very difficult place. And that's the story we all live to tell. All of us surviving from a very difficult place, first of all, from the very pit of what sin does to us, But over and over again, we have seen the Lord come through in different circumstances in our lives. And I I want to remind you of how last week we talked about Jesus' invitation for us to come. Come to him who is, come to me who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And when when we're in intimidating circumstances, we need to know that somebody's in our corner. Wouldn't you agree? And one thing that we know for sure is if everybody else has deserted us, Jesus is always in our corner. That's our assurance. So this morning I want us just to take some time 
to look at three verses in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And I just want to camp in those three verses and unpack some things that are really, I think, very rich for us to see. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. There we are. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The two verses, the bracket verse 15, verses 14 and 16, contain this exhortation, this encouragement. Fidelity in the doctrine of God. We can trust Him completely. Let us hold fast to our confession. And in verse 16, we have this confidence of communion with God. As we hold fast to our confession, we can draw, we can draw with confidence nearer to Him than we have to be to anybody else on the planet. So I'd like us to take some time And we'll leave the verses on the screen so that you can see and follow along. Verse 14, let me read it again. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. The task of a high priest. High priest has one responsibility. The responsibility of the high priest is to help the people that he serves stay in touch with God and stay in touch with man. He, the, the high priest, is to, is, his responsibility is to stay as close to God as he can and stay as close to his people as he can so he can be the bridge between the two. He's the one that's supposed to bring the voice of God to man, to bring the presence of God to man, to usher men into the very presence of God. And I think it's no secret that there's really only one true high priest that fits that description. And in this passage, in verse 14 in particular, we see the sheer greatness of Jesus' deity. We see at the same time we perfectly have a known man and a perfectly known God. And this passage begins with stressing the sheer greatness and the absolute deity of Jesus. Able to do everything that God is able to do. He's great not just because we esteem Him great, but He's great in His very essence as to who He is. And passing through the heavens, I think, can mean that Jesus went into the heavens, returned into the heavens, and passed through the heavens because not even the heavens contain, can contain the immensity and the greatness of who He is. Verse 15, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are without sin. Not only is he intensely immense in his deity, but he doesn't remain just in his deity so far away from us that we can't touch him. He also has completely identified with us as men and women. In temptation and pain, 
which means to be without sin means that he suffered not only at all points like us, but even deeper than we could even imagine. The commentator William Barclay says, we fall into temptation a long time before the, tempta- the tempter has put, us, put out the whole of his power. We're easily vanquished. We never know temptation at its fiercest <clears throat> and its most terrible because we fall down. We give up a long time before the intensity or the most intense level of temptation is reached. I want to give you permission to do something here this morning. And that is, I want you to imagine the most excruciating pain you have ever experienced. You got it? Now take that, what you're imagining right now, and imagine that pain intensifying a thousand times over. It's true to say that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, but it's also true to say that never was a man tempted as he was. Because no matter how intense the pain is that you've ever gone through or you could imagine, imagining that a thousand times over, two thousand times over, a hundred thousand times over, Jesus bore up under that temptation and pressed through. In other words, verse 15 is the anchor of this passage because the surrounding verses carry out the implications. The burden of this anchor verse is Jesus is in sheer solidarity with all of us. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And all of our natural intuitions tell us that Jesus is with us, He's on our side, He's present, He's helping when life is going well. But the reality is, He's even more with us when it seems like life is falling completely apart. Because the text says completely opposite of the fact that it's only when life is going well because he's able to sympathize with us. The word for sympathize has this compound, is a compound word formed from the prefix meaning with. So no matter how intense the pain is that you and I are facing, he is with us. He knows what it's like to be thirsty, to be hungry, to be despised, to be rejected, to be scorned, falsely accused, to be suffocated, to be tortured and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. Imagine what it is, whatever it is that you think you have gone through or will ever go through, and Jesus is with you in all of those circumstances. He will never unfriend us. His friends abandoned him when he, need, he needed them the most. And if he had lived today, every last Twitter follower, every last Instagram follower and Facebook follower and friend would have unfriended him when he turned 33 and went to the cross. But he will never unfriend us. And the key to understanding the significance of uh, Hebrews 4.15 is to push equally hard on two phrases. In every respect... And without sin. All of our weakness, indeed all of our life is tainted with sin. And if sin were the color blue, we don't occasionally say or do something blue. All that we do and say has some tinge or taint of blue in it. But Jesus doesn't have any of those 
taints or tinges of that color. He had no sin. He was wholly innocent, unstained, and, un, and, and separated from sinners. Yet even though he separates from us because he did not suffer with sin, he, combined, he joins with us because he understands the temptation we face every day and every hour to sin. The reason we're not, con- we're, we're not discouraged because of our sins is because Jesus' sinlessness means that he knows temptation better than we ourselves do. He knows what sin causes us to do and want to do. C.S. Lewis made this point by speaking, if you can picture Superstorm Sandy, and you picture the wind blowing in your face as hard as possible, and you're trying to get to the other side of the block, and you got your head down in the wind, and you're trying to walk through the wind, and you can't walk any further, and you fall on the ground, and as you fall to the ground, you notice out the corner of your eye some presence passing by. And you look up and you notice that it's Jesus with his head down into the wind and he's pushing through the wind and as he passes by, he encourages all of us to grab a hold of his coattails and hold on for dear life because he's the one that's going to help us make it through whatever the trials and circumstances are that we face. And there's three effects that happen. There's sympathy because the idea that God can grieve with us and have compassion and feel our pain is this revolutionary idea to the early church, especially to the Greeks, the idea that there's a God that has a quality of mercy that understands and He knows and He's able to help. And so then we come to verse 16. Therefore, therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to think for just a moment. Come up in your mind, come up in your mind with three things right now that you're facing in life circumstances. Disappointments, hurts, confusion, decisions you have to make. I want to take a moment before we look at this last verse, verse 16, and I want to pray as I encourage all of us to go to the throne of grace. The throne always represents authority. The throne always represents where the final decision is made. In fact, the throne of grace could be better described as the throne or the mercy seat. The place where God's mercy is seated. And the picture in the Hebrew of a mercy seat is a picture of ultimate protection. It's the picture of a mother holding, carrying a baby while she's waiting for that baby to be born and making sure that she stays healthy and does everything to protect the baby so the baby, when the time comes for birth to occur, the baby comes forth with fullness of life. And so with those three things in mind, I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. 
And I want you to imagine that you're coming to a throne. And you're taking those three things and you're just laying each one of them at the throne of grace. So Father, we take the things that are on our hearts right now. You know better than we do that we are in a season that is a difficult season for all of us. The difficult season for our country, for our world, for our planet. And then on top of that, we all have just those things in our life that are pressing in. And so, Lord, we come to the place of authority and we come to the place of grace and we come to the place of mercy where life can come out of the midst of circumstances that look like death. And so help us to draw near. We ask in your name. Amen. Let us then, with confidence... First notice, of all, notice in that verse it says, let us then. So sometimes we need to recognize we're not supposed to approach the mercy seat by ourselves. It's totally appropriate for you to call a friend. I think I heard that somewhere, right? To phone a friend and say, would you please come to the mercy seat with me over this circumstance? And then the writer says, let us come with confidence And the word for confidence means all speech. That means every word you have in your vocabulary you can think of. With all the intensity, yelling, screaming, forcefully, boldly, speaking forth and saying, this is what I need. God gives you, according to these verses, total freedom to be as bold as possible. He is saying to us, He is not intimidated by our boldness. He wants us to be bold in our prayers and say, God, it's time. I need You to come. He's releasing total freedom of speech. He's releasing a flowing of freedom. It's the same word that was used when the early church had been persecuted. And they were told, you need to shut down everything you're doing. You can't worship anymore. And so they went into the presence of God and the Holy Spirit fell. And it says they went out of that meeting speaking the word of God boldly. And the way we're able to speak more boldly into the situations we find ourselves is to go get the strength that we need at the throne of grace. Then he says, let us draw near. Let us then with confidence draw near. And the word draw near means to come facing forward. You're not supposed to come to... This is the mercy seat. This is the way some of us come to the mercy seat. As if we're afraid. We're not supposed to come to the mercy seat with our head down and say, oh, woe is me. Because it's already been taken care of at the cross. And so He gives us permission to come to the mercy seat with everything that's in our hands and say, Lord, here's what I have. Please help me with these things. The picture that's described by the the words, let us draw near, is a picture of someone facing forward, approaching and coming near as, as near as possible without the fear of being rejected. And it's interesting because you can't see it in the English language, but Actually, the right way to translate this word is to draw near and to continually draw near. 
Those of you that are parents in the room, have you ever gotten tired of your kids coming to you with the same request? Aren't you glad that God is not like we are? Because he never grows weary of us coming with the same request. Because the picture is to continually draw near with your face forward with boldness and confidence that he wants to help. Which is the next word that's in this verse. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And the word help is an interesting word. It's an incredible word that draws on this word picture of one who, upon hearing a cry for help, runs to give aid. It describes the assistance offered to meet a need. This word in the Greek language was used to describe medical aid or cure. So it's it's providing the, the antidote. It's providing the vaccine. It's providing the cure to the problem that we have. And please notice, it says, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. That we might receive mercy. It doesn't say that we, that it says that we may receive mercy. It doesn't just say we might receive mercy. It says we may or we will receive mercy. The Amplified Version describes help as appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that God tends to work that way. He tends to just time things so we receive His answers right in the nick of time. The other interesting thing about this picture is the word for help is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 27 when, when Paul's on this ship And the ship is in the midst of a storm. And of course, it's a wooden ship. And what happens whenever whenever those, those ships or those boats would be in the middle of a storm, what they had at their disposal were cables. And they would take the cables and the sailors would take and start wrapping the cables around the wooden planks of the ship to try to hold it together as the storm continued to beat against the sides of the ship. And so the word help is when you and I are in the midst of a storm and it feels like our ship is about to go down, while you and I are complaining and worrying about what to do, God is busy wrapping cables around us to hold us together so that we can make it to the other side of the storm. Charles Spurgeon says, Beloved, do you see the word picture inherent in the biblical use of this word? From time to time, all of saints encounter unexpected storm winds and are in need of our great captain to batten down the hatches, sending his help that we might be able to endure the stormy trial or the temptation. This this pictures the sense of security that we can have as we boldly throw ourselves down on the throne of grace in time of need. Even though Jesus sometimes goes down in the hole of sin with us, and even though we feel trapped, He's never trapped. He's faced every temptation, but His sinlessness is our salvation. Not only can He alone pull us out of the hole of sin, it's He alone 
who desires to climb in and be with us and bear and carry our burdens because he's the one able to sympathize. The word for sympathize in this passage means he co-suffers with us because he knows what it's like for us to face what we face. He's inclined from his own heart and affections to give us help and relief And he's inwardly moved during our sufferings and trials with a sense of a fellow feeling those trials with us. The throne of grace. The mercy seat. The mercy seat that's the place of protection. It's the place of power and authority. It's the place of majesty and honor. God's throne is a place of perfect justice. God's throne is a place of sovereignty and holiness. And he invites us to throw ourselves onto that throne. It's a place of purity. It's a place of grace and eternal life. And he invites us to come with boldness and confidence and throw ourselves on that throne. There was a couple waking up early one morning and they're laying in bed talking about the day. And if you can imagine, if they're laying there and someone was to start rattling the doors and rattling the windows, and as a prowler, as a thief, that couple would be fearful about what was going to happen. Or if a good friend came, The husband's cousin came and walked in the bedroom and threw himself onto the bed. That would be really strange. But if they heard a knock at the door and it was their little two-year-old and the two-year-old came running in and said, Mommy and Daddy! And jumped on the middle of the bed, plop right in the middle of them. The reaction would be totally different. That's the reaction of the Father when you and I jump onto the throne of mercy. He says, it is good to be with you. What is it that you need? As we finish up this morning, I have this, just this final question. The question is, when is the time of need? I think the answer to the question is a better question. When is not the time of need? And who better to have in our corner than Jesus? I'd like you to stand with me. And um, one of the challenges for me right now in this season is so, to me, it's so important to have you pray for each other. But I don't want to take the risk of having you break the rules of social distancing. But you do have your mask on, so what I want you to do is I want you to turn, turn towards one another right now. And uh, just like the New York Mets and New York Yankees did yesterday in their exhibition game and they gave phantom high fives, you need to extend hands of mercy and grace because we're in this together and i want you to take a moment i want you to pray for those that are around you and pray 
that they would be greatly assured this morning that Jesus is in their corner. No matter what they're dealing with, facing whatever frustration, whatever it is, that Jesus is in their corner. So would you just take a moment and extend your hand and let's pray for each other. You can actually pray pretty loud and nobody can hear you because you have a mask on. <laughs> Father, I just pray for greater mercy, greater grace, more of your goodness, more of the life that comes from the throne of grace and mercy. I pray that you would extend that assurance to everyone this morning that you are in our corner. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go today, I want to invite you to hold out your hands and receive these words from the Lord. May God who puts all things together, makes everything whole, who made a lasting mark through His sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead. Now may He put you together, provide you with everything you need to please Him, make us into what gives Him most pleasure, by means of the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Amen, amen, and amen.